Hey everybody, it's Brentley, and today I want to talk about race hustlers fanning the flames of interracial conflict. It's Brentley! <laughs> so, we had this story about the Micaiah Bryant shooting, right? This just happened a few, last week. Today is April 26th. This story comes from April 21st. Uh, and Micaiah was shot on April 20th. It was the same day that the Chauvin verdict was released. White House condemns Columbus police shooting of a teenager with a knife as racist. The White House said without evidence, the Tuesday's police shooting of a black teenage girl who charged another black teen with a knife was motivated by racism. So right off the bat, you can see Joe Biden to the, his administration or whoever's you know controlling his administration, because it's obviously not him, uh, is fanning the flames of racial conflict by screaming racism. You know, when it's pretty clear that the body camera footage shows that this girl was about to stab another girl with a knife, potentially ending her life. And the officer did his job. You know, he shot the person who was posing the threat. And unfortunately, she passed away. She died. Uh, and a lot of people are immediately jumping the gun and screaming that this, you know, that this white officer, uh, yeah, I'm banned on Twitter, this white officer had shot Micaiah, then that racism played some sort of role. She was a child, the White House wrote in a Wednesday statement on the shooting. And then they go on, we know the police violence disproportionately impacts black and Latino people and communities. Well, hold on, you know, violence in general disproportionately affects black and Latino communities. And we can ask why that is. And when we do the research, when we get into the details, we find that a lot of these poor, mostly inner city communities, or people that are raised in these uh, economically depressed areas. They come from single parent households. And when we look at recidivism, that's like uh, criminal offenders who go back and offend again and again, they end up in jail multiple times. When we look at the details, those, those individuals tend to come from single parent households. So there seems to be a very strong correlation between violent crime and single parent households. And we know that single parent households are disproportionately uh, present in African-American and impoverished communities in general. Saki, you know, our press secretary, she keeps saying, you know, she was a child, the White House weighs in. Uh, the full statement was the killing of 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant by the Columbus police is tragic. She was a child. We're thinking of her friends and family and communities that are hurting and grieving her loss. We know that police violence disproportionately impacts black and Latino people and communities and that black women and girls like black men and boys experience higher rates of police violence. We also know that there are particular vulnerabilities that children in foster care, like Micaiah, face, and her death came just as you noted, uh, just as America was hopeful step forward after the traumatic and exhausting trial of Derek Chauvin verdict was reached. So clearly, Micaiah does come from a single parent household. So it's an interesting point to note. And the White House promotes this narrative that the officer's gunfire was motivated by some sort of racist inclination when there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that. And this is a big problem. Like we have these race hustlers. Valerie Jarrett is another one. A black teenage girl named Micaiah Bryant was killed because the police officer immediately decided to shoot her multiple times in order to break up a knife fight. <laughs> it wasn't a knife fight, first of all. It was a girl about to stab another girl who's, who's armed with a puppy. Like if you watch the video, the girl in the pink is holding a small dog. So this wasn't a knife fight, as one would call, you know, two people fighting with knives. This was a, a girl or a woman, a young woman, however you want to, you know, a, a, however you want to label a 16-year-old, 
uh, about to stab another girl. Fight for justice. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Police officer's split-second decision and impeccable aim saves an African-American woman from a violent knife attack. There, fixed it. So, and, and that seems to be more of the accurate description of what happened. And, you know, immediately the officer went to perform CPR. They did everything they could to save Micaiah's life. It's just unfortunate that when officers show up on the scene, Micaiah attacks not one but two girls while armed with a knife and doesn't seem to even acknowledge the presence of officers whom, allegedly, she had called there herself. Uh, Bree Newsom is another one. Teenagers have been having knife having fights, including fights involving knives for eons. Okay. We do not need police to address these situations by showing up to the scene and using a weapon against one of the teenagers. Y'all need help. I mean that sincerely. This just seems like a really straight rift. And if you see Bree Newsom's uh, tagline here on Twitter, defund and abolish police. Yes, because that will definitely help black and brown lives, right? Uh, everyone should be frightened that the ruling white elite didn't we just have an African-American president not too long ago <laughs> have done such a thoroughly and successful job of not only disconnecting us from a means of basic self-sufficiency, but also convincing us we need armed white officers to manage our children and communities? Well, the officers were called there, and that seems to be, you know, a, a thing that Miss Bree Newsom just ignores. You know, she doesn't even mention the fact that, that the police officers were called there in order to break up a fight. Now, this I thought was particularly disgusting. Uh, NBC Nightly News deceptively edited the 911 call and the body cam video of the police to conceal the teen wielding knife. So they edited their footage. You know, they showed some, not, they, they aired some of the 911 call and some of the body cam footage that showed Micaiah's, uh, Micaiah's death. And they stopped it right before she flashed the knife, but they continued the audio to the point where you could actually hear the gunshots. You want to take a look? Let's take a look. A police officer shot and killed a 16-year-old black girl in Columbus, Ohio, saying she was threatening others with a knife. Police body cam video was quickly released. Our Kevin Tibbles has that story, and I need to caution you. The images are difficult to watch. Police body cam video shows Micaiah Bryant's final moments. When a Columbus, Ohio police officer responding to a call gets out of his car and seconds later fatally shoots the 16-year-old girl. So you see how they stopped it right there, folks? They stopped it, right? She's, you can see the knife here, which is good. But then the video ends right before anything else happens. What the video shows is the female with the knife attempting to stab the first female. Reardon fires his weapon four times, striking Bryant. Officers are seen and heard performing CPR. See, and then they jump. They jump that little gap there. They don't show you the complete footage, which is deceptive. It's really, really deceptive. In contrast, CBS Evening News showed the important part of the 911 call. It says, quote, these grown girls over here trying to fight us, trying to stab us, the caller says. They also slow down the video and zoom in on the knife in the attacker's hands. While the other corporate media outlets made a point to note the knife in her hands, sometimes zooming in and freezing the video where it showed her wielding the weapon, NBC glossed over it and merely stated that authorities claimed she was threatening others with a knife. Body camera footage shows a knife on the ground, NBC stated, showing a screenshot of a knife lying in the driveway at the scene. So they totally just completely ignore the fact that she was in the middle of trying to stab that girl in the pink and 
jumped to this thing that's like it's on the ground like she wasn't holding it like she wasn't in the middle of trying to stab somebody NBC's unwillingness to feature all the evidence follows an evidenceless narrative created by media outlets, activists, and even the White House that the shooting was racially motivated. So this is a big problem, folks. We have major media networks fanning the flames of racism, claiming that there is more racism here than there actually is. If anything, there, there's none. There's no evidence to suggest that this guy shot that girl simply because she was black. In fact, his training, you know, goes to the... the Police are trained to shoot people who are presenting a deadly force against another person or against themselves. The officer did exactly what he was trained to do and, and how he's trained to respond to these situations. Um, now to lead away a little bit from Micaiah Bryant, I want to talk about the Washington Post because the Washington Post is a renowned outlet of propaganda. They often regurgitate pro-American foreign policy talking points. They do a lot of apologia for American intelligence agencies and the, uh, the intelligence agency's agenda, the deep state agenda. And here we have a fact checker, Glenn Kessler, issuing a hit piece against Senator Tim Scott, who is black. So this is a white guy putting out a hit piece under the guise of a fact check. This is like a Snopes-like fact check where they delve into his background because Tim Scott mentions that his, his grandfather used to pick cotton and dropped out of school. And, you know, they do this little fact check where they, you know, say that he's, he's being deceptive when actually, you know, the only thing that they fact check is that his grandfather dropped out in the fourth grade where Tim Scott said he dropped out in the third grade and everything else about his story is correct. So they do this little thing that Snopes is really known for, but there's this one tiny detail in the story that's not exactly 100% accurate. And they be like, oh, well, this one tiny detail is wrong. And then they use that to sort of attack the entire narrative. And it's almost like the Washington Post did this intentionally because they wanted to fan the flames of interracial conflict. They wanted to generate this idea that this guy, uh, Glenn Kessler, is presenting a racist narrative and you know he was all the more willing to do it and the article even says racist washington post fact check calls black senator privileged for his family history of picking cotton so it seems like they're fanning the flames of interracial drama now this i thought was interesting this was a recent piece from the daily show and the daily show has become more and more propagandistic ever since john stewart left you know, Trevor Noah seems more than willing to regurgitate to whatever talking points are put in front of him. And now they did this little who's who of the far right. Well, they highlighted uh, Madison Cawthorn, Mar Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Tucker Carlson as if they are far right, when actually most of these people are what I would call just on the right or, uh, you know, somewhat right of center. You could say they are representative of the right or people on the right. But they're not far right. You know, in my opinion, far right is characterized by what I would see as a sort of ethno nationalism. These are the people that have actual hardcore white supremacy beliefs. You know, the folks that are sort of living in their own little communities out in the middle of bum, uh, middle of nowhere, Iowa. And to me, that's what the far right is. If you, if you are actually like sort of racist and you think America should be a white only country, then then you are on the far right. That's the far right. And that's the borderline for me personally. And I think that makes sense. What we see here with The Daily Show is that they're trying to characterize now people who are just on the right as far right in order to paint them as some sort of, you know, Looney Tune crazies. And you see the little Q flag here in the background. Now, 
I haven't really talked about Q a lot because I tend to think that it was a psychological operation. And it seems to be that it's continuing to be used to paint conservatives as these sort of Looney Tune crazy people. When actually, really, the only narrative that matters in, in, the, in the Q story is that the elites are trafficking children. And that there's enough evidence, you know, from the Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein affair to suggest that that narrative is actually correct, that it's true, that it's happening, and that it's being covered up. But we see major media here associating normal people on the right who are concerned about child trafficking and trying to paint them as some sort of Looney Tune crazies as if this isn't happening at all. When, again, we have, we have the Epstein affair, we have the trial of Jillian Maxwell, which is ongoing. You know, these things indicate that this was, in fact, happening. So when I see The Daily Show trying to do this, what I see them doing is they're sort of fanning the flames here, trying to create more division, trying to paint reasonable conservatives who may have some crazy, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene has said some crazy stuff, um, but a lot of her stuff has been taken out of context and mischaracterized. You know, she's really no different than AOC on the left, whom the media just loves. They, they prop her up, you know, all the time. Whereas Marjorie Taylor Greene, she gets shut down, she gets censored. So it's interesting to see this right versus left treatment and how one side is treated versus the other. Uh, with the Derek Chauvin situation, we have infamous hustler Maxine Waters, who has become very, very rich over the years working in Congress. She said some very controversial remarks outside of the courthouse and at a protest. Let's take a look. We're looking for a guilty verdict. We're looking for a guilty verdict, and we're looking to see if all of the talk that took place and has been taking place after they saw what happened to George Floyd, if nothing does not happen, then we know uh, that we've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. But I am very hopeful, and I hope uh, that we're going to get a verdict that is say guilty, guilty, guilty. And if we don't, we, got, we cannot go away. So you heard it right there, folks. She said that they're looking for a guilty, guilty verdict. And if we get it, we, we don't get it, we can't go away. That seems like that she's threatening riots if they don't get what they want. That's not how our justice system is supposed to work. You know, the, the jury is supposed to be reflecting on the facts of the situation and not being influenced by the outside. That's why we have this idea of sequestering. Now, the jury wasn't sequestered. The, since then, jurors have come out and admitted publicly that if they didn't give, you know, if they didn't convict on all counts, that they would uh, be subject to violence, that their homes would be threatened, that their families might be threatened. This is all very good grounds for an appeal. However, we don't know what's going to happen with the appeal if uh, the judge in the case and the jurors in the case can be swayed by blind mob violence. There's nothing to suggest that the appellate courts will not be similarly swayed, but we'll have to wait and see what happens there. However, legally, this does seem to be a really good grounds for an appeal. Granted, I'm not a lawyer, but the, the judge himself, even in the case, even said that Maxine Waters handed them a very good grounds for appeal. One would think that he would know what he's talking about. So Maxine Waters was, they attempted to censure her for her remarks regarding the Chauvin trial. However, along party lines, Democrats defeated the resolution brought by the Republicans. You know, everybody voted along party lines, 216 to 210, and they called it a victory for House Democrats. 
it's just I'm just mind blown that that we have public officials, the White House, we have the House Majority Leader weighing in on a court case which is supposed to be independent and they're pushing what they want to see and encouraging violence and riots in the streets if they don't get what they want. This is insane. Um, and this brings me back, like, I don't know if you guys have done too much research into uh, Charles Manson, this idea that he had of Helter Skelter, which is sort of like fostering a race war between blacks and whites. And, you know, this idea, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that uh, Charles Manson was working for or an asset of intelligence agencies back in the late 60s and that he was being used in order to paint the hippie free love movement as the sort of potentially violent cult of people. And, and that's sort of what ended up happening as a result of the, the Tate Bianca murders. But um, we're here seeing this whole racial war, this interracial conflict thing being cooked up again. And it was, you know, a brainchild of the CIA in the past, which makes me think it's probably still a brainchild of the CIA in the present. They want to create a problem in order to offer a solution, which will involve more control, more lockdowns, more regulation. Um, and that's why I think we're seeing a lot of the Democrat-controlled cities just sort of letting these uh, anarchical uh free zones, whatever you want to call them. You know, it's like George Floyd Plaza now in Minneapolis, which is a, you know, it's, it's like a autonomous zone. They have checkpoints. There are armed members of the autonomous zone, you know, whatever you want to call it, security forces with weapons who are patting people down, you know, and inside the autonomous zone, there are rules for white people that are separate from rules from black people. And so it just seems to me that we're going backwards. You know, we're, we're losing, like, our ability to, to have, you know, free commerce. You know, people in the, who live near and around these autonomous zones, there's a lot of minority businesses that are being negatively impacted. They're losing their business. They're having damage done to their business. And it just seems like we're having this whole conflict being fostered more and more. LeBron James had to weigh in. You know, he had to say something like, your next accountability when it came to the officer who shot Micaiah Bryant. You know... That officer saved the other girl's life. And yes, it was a shame that it cost Micaiah hers. But this is what happens when you try to stab somebody in front of a cop. You can't use deadly force around the police and expect them not to do their job. Uh, and this is something I went over in a previous video. You know, I made this video. We need to talk about black supremacy um, because particularly Islam and uh, black nationalism they were problems in the past. We had a lot of incidents of anti-Jewish sentiment coming from the African-American Islamic community. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, they were just sort of spewing the same sort of, you know, anti-Jewish vitriol that we heard uh, during the mid 20th century coming out of Germany. Um, so I had this video, I'll post a link in the description. But the, the issue is that we have these groups being sort of fostered by the media. They're being protected by the media. They're being encouraged by the likes of Maxine Waters and the White House, which really, you know, Maxine Waters and the White House are really taking their orders from elsewhere. You know, you could call it the deep state, the CIA, the establishment, you know, whatever you want to call the sort of like coven of elite that sort of like to play their little puppeteering game. They are pushing for this. And it's our job as, you know, critically thinking citizens in order to stand up and be like, no, this is wrong. 
Racism is bad. You know, it doesn't matter which direction it's coming from. It doesn't matter which group you're targeting. You know, I, I highlighted a lot of anti-Asian racism that was coming from African American, the African American community. And it seems like the problem here is that there's this narrative that if you are a minority in the U.S., you cannot be racist because they've tried to redefine racism from negatively prejudging a group of people to power plus privilege, which makes absolutely no sense. And it's just a cheap rhetorical tactic in order to avoid accountability for your own racist actions and behaviors. So I'll leave it there, folks. Let me know what you think in the comments. Don't forget to like, subscribe. I just added this to Spotify. So if you're on Spotify, please follow. And uh, I'll be back again soon with another video. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.